Welcome to the Ministry to Parents podcast. Here's your hosts, Elizabeth and Jeremy Lee. It's that time again. Welcome to the podcast for church leaders that helps them build a ministry to parents. I'm Jeremy Lee. And I'm Elizabeth Lee. Thank you so much for joining in. This is episode 12, where we are talking about helping families in crisis and specifically families who have walked through death. Yeah, they're grieving the death of a loved one. Um, and it could be a grandparent, it could be a, a parent, it could be a child. Um, all, No matter how this touches a family, it always leaves an impact. And so we want to talk through that with you today. And it's right now, currently, as we're in the middle of a global pandemic, probably so many of your church members have either been affected or they know someone who's been affected, who's lost someone in this pandemic. It's it's a very serious issue. And then there are a lot of people who are just afraid. They're afraid of it coming to, to their family. And like we've mentioned in the past few episodes, it's kind of a recurring theme uh, of, of this month, mm-hmm. uh, is that uh, during crisis, people are most open to spiritual things. It's... From the perspective of spiritual awakening, it's an incredible opportunity. God is active in crisis in people's hearts and lives, and and they are more open to seeking that help because they feel helpless. And I think about that verse, uh, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds, and he's so tender and caring and giving. And one of the ways he does that is through his people, through his church. And he goes, and when people are hurting, whether they believe in him or not, he does, he works and he heals. We saw that all throughout the New Testament, where we see that Jesus is constantly loving and and caring and feeding people. And so he does that. And so we as a church, who he lives within us, we're out there caring for those people and loving on them. And that's one of the things that we do. You that are listening, the church leaders. That's what you do. That's your calling. Yeah, it's and come back to another kind of uh, theme that keeps coming up during these is that these are sacred moments. Mm -hmm. When you lose a loved one, if you're a child who loses someone you love, you never forget those moments. Um, uh, And and really, whether you're a child or not, it's unforgettable the moments that happen. Um, I can remember very clearly in college when I lost my one of my best friends in a car accident, just suddenly and tragically. Um, I can remember in detail every little thing that happened in the hospital and in the funeral following. Um, and, and it felt like every one of those moments were just impacting me um, and making such a huge difference. Uh, and there were a ton of church leaders in those moments that, that invested that I'll never forget. Um, I'm, some of them I hardly even know their name, but I remember their face. And I remember how they how they helped me during that time. The presence, right? It's their presence. It's not necessarily that they did anything. I remember, you know, walking that with you, and I remember how comforting you were comforted by just their presence, them being there. Mm-hmm. I remember in the I was in the hallway uh, of the hospital when when my they they announced to everyone because you know it was we were in college. There were about a hundred people in the waiting room. <laughs> Because uh, he he was a young guy and and, and young people it's, it's just so hard when when they go through that and they announced it and there was just screaming and terror and crying and just sadness and just overwhelming and just so happened the the BSU director the 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 kind of the chaplain for our college was standing next to me at that moment and he uh just um 
just comforted me. Uh, and you know what he did? He did nothing. He just stood there, put his hand on my shoulder, didn't say anything. And that meant everything. Um, it's those sacred moments that as church leaders we get invited to when it comes to grieving and death. But also, this is one of those places where it's easy to do damage too. We can um, uh, unfortunately uh, give, uh, you know, sayings or, hey, you know, it'll be okay or grin and bear it and, you know, those kind of just, uh, just cliches. Cliches. That's <laughs> what I'm searching for. Cliches that uh, build resentment and don't offer comfort. Um, and uh, and then if you're like me, uh, when I show up in some of those situations, I when I get nervous, I tell jo- a bunch of jokes and I'm silly and I'm goofy. And that's my way of dealing with um, stress and pain and being nervous. And so uh, as a young minister, I walked up into those scenarios sometimes and that is just not the place for humor. <laughs> and, and I didn't know what to do. And I felt really, really, really like uh, some of you, your personality, like Elizabeth, I think your personality is wonderful in these scenarios. You show up in, in, in the home of someone who's just lost a loved one and you just know what to do. God has gifted you that way. I show up and I'm like a bull in a china shop and, and it's no good. So this is why I'm really grateful we have our guest this week, Philip yes. Robinson. Yes, Philip is a pastoral care guru, is how I like to call it. He's the Yoda I'll, of pastoral care. That's a great care. way to say it. <laughs> and he is on staff at a church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. That's our hometown where we live. And we have seen firsthand this guy on the front lines of crisis in this particular area. And that's why we invited his voice into this topic today, because he is he's the Yoda of it all. And when he when we called and asked him to be a part of this, his response was, "Ah, you should probably find this person and invite this person. This person, uh, I'm, you don't need me. Uh, just this humility." And, and uh, we just looked at him and said, "No, no, we don't know anybody better." Because for decades on decades, Philip has served so many families, thousands of families that have gone just through this situation. And then he himself lost his father tragically. So there's just uh, there's a lot that he can offer us today. So I'm excited for Philip to be a part of this and kind of coach us through how to help families that are grieving. And you know one of my favorite parts of the interview, and I hope you who are listening enjoy this as well, his perspective and the way he comes at the subject is one from it's a sacred moment. It's a spiritual moment to be helping families who've experienced death. And his perspective on death is uh, uh, one that is grounded in truth, in God's truth, and and the reality of what we as believers share in regards to the subject of death. Mm. So let's go over, before we jump into the interview, let's just kind of go back and forth with some wisdom of stuff that we've learned in our ministry journey. Uh, And I'll start. This is what I've learned by mistake um, and I'll quote a song. You say it best when you say nothing at all. That's 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 what I nice. That's what I would offer it. Uh, church leaders that walk into that scenario. Um, so often, um, and I can remember one in particular. I was called uh, by a parent and said, "You know, I am uh, my daughter's boyfriend was just tragically killed." I can't make it to the school because I am having to deal. I'm like across town. Will you please go to the school and let my daughter know what happened? 
And so it now fell upon me to go to the school and, uh, and tell this girl uh, that her boyfriend was tragically killed. And um, so there, so here I am. Uh, and some of you that are church leaders, you've been in similar situations, and you're like, yes, Jeremy, I feel your pain. So I'm walking <laughs> in. I tell the uh, office, the school office staff, they already know what's going on. They've set a room aside for us. They bring the girl in, and I, I, uh, I, I tell her what has happened, and um, and and for whatever reason, I'm just so nervous. I just keep talking, and uh, and the girl is freaking out. She's crying. She's just upset as she should be. And I keep trying to come up with something clever to say to her that's going to make her feel better. And as I, and this was years and years ago, but as I, as I look back upon that, I'm like, what an impossible thing I was trying to accomplish. I mean, my heart was pure. I wanted to make her feel mm-hmm. better, but it's impossible mm-hmm. to make them feel better mm-hmm. in those moments. And so the, uh, the thing I should have done was said, I'm so sorry uh, given her that news and then just said nothing at all mm-hmm. and just been there. Mm-hmm. If I could do it over again, that's what I'd do. So I pass that on to you guys, please. If, if you say it best when you say nothing at all, what, what's something that you've learned through this? Um, one of the things that I've learned is that uh, it, it, it's hard to explain, but it's just uncomfortable. And I've had to learn how to sit in the uncomfortable because uh, when I was working in student ministry, I'll never forget there was a boy struggling with cancer. And so they'd called hospice in and they said, okay, the time's coming. And they invited people to come to the house. And I had gotten there before uh, uh, the rest of the crew had come in. And so I was sitting there with his mom because she didn't want to leave him. He had just passed away. And but she wanted somebody there with her. And sitting in that moment uh, was about as uncomfortable as I've ever been because I had it was one of my first times to be around um, someone passing and it not being a funeral home and them not being in casket and it be he's in his bed as a teenager and it was just so much and it was very uncomfortable for me and I was so. Uh, my mind was racing 90 miles an hour. Am I, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to say something? Uh, don't move, don't mess this moment up. And it was almost like, uh, I didn't even know how to be present because I was so afraid of doing something wrong, you know? And, and looking back, it's like, I I wish I had just been able to breathe number one in that moment. And then two, just no one can go there except Jesus with that mother right? No one can go into the depths of that kind of pain except him. And I think if, if I could do it different, I would have spent that time completely just talking to Jesus about meeting her there and just asking him, hey, would you please, like just interceding for her. But I was so concerned with do, not doing the, the right thing or the wrong thing that I couldn't pray because my mind was going 90 miles an hour. And I think that's one of the things that I have learned uh, since then, that when I am uh, invited into moments of crisis, whether it be with friends or family members, that now at this point, rather than trying to think of what to say, I just talk to Jesus. And because only Jesus can go to those places with them. Mm, that's good. <sighs> okay, so I, I've got one and I, I'm going to rhyme. I'm going to like my inner rapper. <laughs> I appreciate your creativity in this. 
And it's this one. Here's here's our third tip. Slow your roll when it comes to control. Nice. Yes, That's yes. Good. Thank you. Thank you very much. You could have laid a beat down for that if you wanted to, but it's okay. Um, yeah, I don't roll that way. <laughs> uh, so here's my point behind this. I have seen uh, two types of church leaders that have uh, that I've observed um, in these scenarios where whereas I'm the one who will screw it up by being stupid and silly and nervous and say the wrong thing. Um, I've observed others do things that I that I would advise against. Um, the first one is the person who has this type of personality. There's just a certain personality who comes in and they they notice that there's um, someone that that no one is taking care of the logistics of the moment. You know that family needs food. We need to organize this. We need and so what they do is they believe that to serve best, they just take control of the moment. And they, they just run the lead logistical thing. Um, and I would say this, as a church leader, one way to serve the family is to maybe help them find someone do that. But I don't know that it's the best place for the church leader to be. Um, I believe our role is uh, to be a gentle presence. Uh, and I'm going to steal a little bit of Philip's thunder. He's going to say in a second that one of the things we do as a representative of uh, if uh, we are representative of God's comfort in that moment, we actually—it's like we literally bring His comfort with us and hand it to the family. That's our biggest, and and it's hard for us to do that when we're ordering people around and telling them where to take the covered dish supper. And um, that's a role that needs to be played, but I don't know that it needs to be played by the church leader. And here's the second kind of control position I've seen uh, church leaders take that I would just warn against is this they kind of just come in with this air of the minister is here now you know (laughs) give me an audience with the family so that i may lay upon them my wisdom during this moment and there's just this kind of intended or most of the time unintended arrogance of i am in the room now let me have my moment with the family and i will be here to dispense upon everyone their blessed wisdom and 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 i I would just say this it's not just a gentle presence we bring it's a humble gentle presence we come as servants Mm -hmm. and we come into those moments quietly is what i've had to learn but we also come in gently where we don't act like we're we're the one taking care of all the logistics and then and then we also come in humbly saying oh my gosh i'm so sorry this has happened to your family i i, I just uh, i'm i'm here for you if you want it to pray uh to anything you need i want to be here for you um i've just seen too many instances in funerals where these pastors uh come in in their suits and they're just kind of domineering and dominating and bit, try to be larger than the moment and the family kind of just rolls their eyes at it um, uh, and then I've seen beautiful examples of people like Philip who come in with this gentle, humble presence, and it's like, it's like a, a balm uh, in in the wound. Um, and that's that's the picture that I that I hope for us. I think uh, if I could describe it, Philip understands that he doesn't, he's not entitled. He doesn't have a right to be there. He understands that it was a sacred invitation by the family. And I do, and I can, I know that that struggle because when it's a part of your job description as a ministry leader to show up at a family's 
uh, death or a funeral or a cousin, you know, or as, when it's a part of it, you're just kind of like, hey, this is expected. It's what I'm supposed to do. This is what they know the role of a pastor is in town, especially in the smaller towns, the role of a pastor and a church leader and a minister. This is what we're supposed to do. We show up and... And so I think it's, it goes an even extra step further that even if the family treats the pastor or the ministry leader like, ah, um, oh, you've now come and everything's going to be okay, to say, you know what, I don't, I'm not entitled to this moment just because of the position I have. It's a sacred invitation that God has given me to be here. And, and what do I do with this moment? Yeah, and one of the things that Philip has, that I've learned from him is, uh, Ministering to a grieving family doesn't take place in just in the first few moments. Um, it's marking it on your calendar, on your calendar, just putting a reminder. This is when such and such died, so that so that there, a reminder comes up for the uh, six months to a year to two years. There's you check back in. And you say, you know, I just was thinking about you today. I know this is a day that you, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you on this day. Um, there's just so much to this process. Um, mm-hmm. um, and then I can, I, I'm going to have a vulnerable moment as we kind of close this segment. Uh, Cause you know this about me, <laughs> I don't, uh, but I want to, I want to be willing to share it. Um, in my ministry career, I learned that I was a communicator um, that I loved bringing excitement and promoting events and those kind of things. But I had to just face the fact that I didn't enjoy this pa- these pastoral care moments. I wasn't good at it. Um, and it would have been easy for me to just pass all that off to a guy like Philip who God has blessed and or to someone like you, Elizabeth, who I believe has been has just uh, been blessed to be able to just enter these moments, supernaturally gifted to just handle and navigate it. But for the rest of us, if this is you, if you're like, hey, you know what? I can I can teach, preach. I can uh, recruit volunteers. I can give vision and lead. But when it comes to sitting next to someone who has just lost a loved one, I'm I'm just horrible at it. And I and I inside, even though I want to help people, I kind of dread it. Um, and th- what I would say to you is, we don't get to tap out of this. If we're going to represent Jesus, we represent Jesus in in these moments. And uh, we're invited into sacred moments. That's what I've had to learn is that it's sacred. It's beautiful. It's one of the most, most purest forms of ministry there is. And so I just would say uh, to those of you that are listening that this may not be your strong suit. I'm with you. And that's why. People like Philip Robinson are a gift. Let's take some time to learn. We may not be naturally gifted, but we can learn and grow. And that's what today is all about. So after the break, we're going to have Philip Robinson with us, and we're going to be talking more about how to help families that are going through grief. Have you ever tried to book a speaker to come to your church for a parent seminar? By the time you pay their speaking fee, plane ticket, gas mileage, hotel room, and their meals, it can get pretty pricey. That's why we're excited to offer you our parent seminar in a box called Heart and Soul Parenting. Jeremy Lee leads parents through the process of connecting to their kids' heart through relationship and guiding their souls through spiritual leadership. 
The best part is that you get all the teaching videos, teaching slide deck, promotional graphics, small group discussion questions, seminar planning guide, and a parent listening guide, all for a fraction of the price that it costs to book a live speaker. And it's all done for you. All you have to do is promote the event and press play. Check out the Heart and Soul Parenting Seminar Kit in the Ministry to Parents online store by going to ministrytoparents.com and clicking the shop button at the top. We're back, and just like we talked about, Philip Robinson is with us. We're going to have a discussion and really kind of try to dive into this topic of how to help grieving families. Uh, Philip is a pastor. He's in charge of pastoral care at a local church. We served on staff with him. He's been in ministry for decades on decades. This man, is he knows what he's doing. He's helped thousands of families through situations like what we're going to discuss today. He's also the author of a book called Forgiveness in the First Degree, where he shares the story of how his father was murdered, and then God allowed him the opportunity to actually make contact with the man who murdered his father and go through a forgiveness process. The book is co-authored with the man who murdered his father. What an incredible story. But he's going to be with us today, and he's going to be talking all about grieving families. In fact, he began by sharing with us kind of another way to think about death. Ecclesiastes 7.1 says uh, the day of our death is better than the day of our birth. So, uh, well, let me turn the conversation around. We have to struggle to get out of our temporal into the eternal to grasp, uh, I guess, why we have death. We know it's a result of sin, but and really that's merciful on God's part because he didn't want us to have to stay in this brokenness forever. So he took away the tree of life and then restored it through his son Jesus. So uh, the redemptive part of it is Jesus has paid our price and, and we have the promise of eternity. So thinking about death from the standpoint of eternity in mind, Helps a lot. I love the fact that Philip is able to flip how we view death because it's really what our faith is all about at the end of the day. It's what Jesus did for us when he conquered death. And so it's the true perspective of how we view it. And one of the things that he shares next, and I think this was so helpful, and I remember just taking so many notes when we were interviewing him, was when he was sharing the verses the scriptural verses that are just comforting. And so we hope, as you're listening to this interview, if you have a chance to write these down, he's about to offer you some really great verses that at some point we hope you're able to use them to comfort families when they're hurting. So really all we have is God's Word, and maybe if the situation allows our own personal context from our grief journey that we may be able to help them with. I mean, Second Corinthians talks about of being comforted to those as we've been comforted. So we, we pass on the comfort. But uh, uh, some of my lead verses, uh, I love how these two pair up. Psalm thirty four eighteen says that God is near the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So just uh, uh, we as ambassadors of Christ get to reflect Jesus into that situation. So we're reminding those who are in that first, minutes or hours of a grief journey that God's with them. 
that he promises to never leave nor forsake. But you put uh, Psalm 147.3 with that, it says that uh, God binds up the brokenhearted. So not only is he with the brokenhearted, but he's already in the process of binding up the broken heart. Those are some great verses, and if you didn't get a chance to write them down, you can hit rewind and go grab them because they're kind of like bullets in the gun when you walk into a situation with a grieving family to be able to have verses like that that you can just gently and humbly share. It's just, it takes the pressure off. I know it does for me to be able to just kind of have those there when I don't know what to say, I have something that I can say. Next, we're going to just kind of continue the conversation. He's going to keep giving us some really practical ways to help families. Check this out. I try to find people who have experienced a similar loss when I'm leading a a session on grief share never ceases to amaze me how widows will kind of subset group with widows and someone who's uh, dealing with the death of a child, whether it's uh, a grade schooler or young adult, they, they tend to gravitate toward one another and create their own subset of grief travelers. So I, I really think that uh, being able to recycle our pain is, is critical. All of this great wisdom that Philip is sharing doesn't just come from his practice and experience of working at a church. It actually comes from the fact that he has walked through experiencing death firsthand. And so we asked him to share a little bit about that. It, uh, my dad was murdered in 1986. The two men involved in his death were convicted in, in uh, about nine months later in 1987. And uh, you know, I, I, I didn't wish them well at all. Uh, but after about seven years of struggling with that, knowing what the Bible said about forgiving, I, I kind of, I, in a very defeated and non-beautiful way, just surrendered it to God and told him, hey, you could, uh, I hope that uh, guy's name for Ron and Steve. I said, if Ron and Steve aren't Christ followers, I, I hope this prison experience, but they'll discover you, Jesus. And if you want to put us side by side in heaven, uh, that's okay. I'm, the, prop, the, the prospect of that doesn't thrill me at all right now, but I, uh, I'm going to trust you with it. So really, it really gets down to the fact of um, living out those words that I trust God. Mm. And then fast forward the story, uh, Ron sends a letter acknowledging his guilt for the first time. And I respond back by telling him that as a Christ follower that I've been forgiven. And then we develop a pit and pal relationship. I kind of take on the role of a spiritual mentor for him while he's in prison. My mom and I speak at his parole hearing. He, he's uh, uh, released, but even before he got out of jail, I noticed how people were kind of drawn to our story whenever I'd be talking about it. You know, I could be talking to one person and somebody else be walking by and they'd get drawn into the conversation. So at about that time in my life, I, I was uh, through other ways that God was uh, working toward transforming and healing me and helping, helping me be more emotionally healthy. I just realized the power of story. So I asked Ron, I said, what do you think about, writing a book together. And so we accomplished that. Uh, a couple of years ago, we 
self-published a book called Forgiveness in the First Degree. And uh, it's been fun to hear other people who've been challenged by uh, a story of forgiveness. Um, I'll probably, as long as I have functioning memory, I'll not forget the, the day that one of Ron's lettering, one of his letters included a line similar to this. He said, I became a Christ follower in 96, 97, I believe he said, and uh, and this is now 2009, probably when this letter is. But I, so I, I knew I'd been forgiven, but I couldn't really apply that forgiveness to my life until I read your words that you're forgiven. So part of the power of forgiveness and while why God has given us that story to tell is that we can forgive others and we can be God Emmanuel in a way to other people who are struggling with, well, I, I don't believe I can be forgiven. And when it comes from a God who is spirit, it's much harder to apply than seeing it from a flesh and blood person sitting across from you, looking you in the eye and telling you you're forgiven. God loves you. God loves me. And we're going to trust him because he's a redeemer. That he can redeem this. Uh, Ron doesn't go a day without being thankful for forgiveness because it's just been huge in our in his life. What an incredible story! I'll never forget uh, when Philip shared that, and he was like on NBC World News Tonight, and uh, he wrote this book and released this story, and it was it was this huge thing. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, all of this attention came back, and it, and and Philip never changed a bit. <laughs> he's still this uh, just humble, humble, gentle guy, and he's still. In fact, when um, off air, when we began this interview, uh, he was talking to us about how he's been praying specifically for us about these specific things that we've been through. Uh, and I was just in awe. I was, his, he just remembers the details and he just consistently cares and prays for others. Um, what an example uh, for Elizabeth and I, for sure. And thank you, Philip, for being a part of today's episode. Yes, thank you. Thank you for your time. We always enjoy learning from you. Um, your presence is comforting to yes, us. <laughs> yes, for sure. So um, thank you, uh, listeners, for joining in on today's podcast. We hope this has given you some tools to be able to walk through. And if you've walked through death at, uh, with a loved one, we hope this has just encouraged you and given you some inspiration. Next week, we hope you join in on the episode. We're going to be discussing how to help families walking through cancer. And I'm going to get to interview Jeremy uh, as you have walked through that. And then you get to interview me as the caretaker. So it's going to be a very unique episode. We hope you're enjoying this series. We've also covered how to help families through addiction and how to help families go through divorce. So make sure to grab those. If you have a chance to hit the subscribe button, like our son says on his YouTube channel, smash that subscribe button. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but if you uh, can subscribe on iTunes or whatever format you listen to the podcast, that that means you'll get it every week. And it also helps us share this podcast with others. And then um, please, if you haven't checked out ministry to parents.com, go to the site and see all the things that we have to offer. We'd love to share that with you. 
Yes, and if you're members, make sure to grab your How to Help Families Walk Through Crisis packet we have for you in the toolbox. This is the podcast for church leaders that helps them build a ministry to parents. Thanks so much for joining, and we'll see you next episode. You've been listening to the M2P Podcast. To download free parent resources, go to ministrytoparents.com.